everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Sonophilian. I'm your host, Mariam Gadar, and today I have the great honor of speaking with Anastasia Lauterbach. She is the non-executive director at EasyJet and Wirecard. She's also the founder and CEO of One AU Ventures. Hi, Anastasia. It's really nice to talk to you today. Hi, Mariam. How are you doing? I'm good. Let's begin by, I guess, getting a bit of background from you. Um, I see that you're quite an expert on, you know, many topics to do with economics. You're also very involved with many industries like, you know, telecommunications, finance, you know, obviously aviation with EasyJet and everything. So tell us how you got started and uh, how your interests and projects have evolved. Uh, well, um, I'm kind of a peculiar animal. Uh, so by formation, I have uh, two degrees, so one in linguistics and another in clinical psychology. I uh, was focused first on academia as I uh, wanted to be a professor at the university. I was dealing a lot with aphasia research, uh, so it's a condition of a brain uh, which stipulates that um, a person uses a capability to speak and language disappears in a person. And it doesn't happen overnight, it happens gradually. And uh, by the condition uh, of uh, the speech, you can recognize what is going on inside of a brain. That was really uh, 30 years ago that uh, I was involved in this. And um, I'm an economical migrant, uh, so I um, went to Germany at the age of 20 years old uh, and really started with nothing uh, in a new country. And uh, my career happened uh, more or less by accident, so I just uh, was applying to an open position and uh, there were assessment centers involved usually and, and then uh, companies were taking me and then I progressed uh, through some, some ranks. I started first in uh, um, a reinsurance business. Uh, so Munich Re was my first uh, large employer. I spent uh, five years there, um, ending up as a senior underwriter in workers' compensation and employers' liability insurance. I spent five years at Munich Re and um, I wanted to complete my education uh, in business, but I did not want to go to a formal MBA, so I went to McKinsey instead and spent three years there um, serving financial services institution as a consultant. Um, and by coincidence, I ended up in automotive sector. Um, this is how I ended up uh, at Daimler. I was helping them to restructure uh, financial services of the company. After three years at Daimler, I was hired to T-Mobile International and became a senior strategist there. So I got pretty immersed uh, in formation technology, started going uh, back and forth of the United States, uh, East Coast and West Coast. And uh, after five years at Deutsche Telekom, I became a CEO of uh, Qualcomm Europe. During this time, I already had my daughter, so it was discovered that uh, she was uh, quite gifted uh, in music. So my daughter plays piano and I decided to spend more time uh, with her. This is how I created my own company, uh, One AU Ventures, so I rebranded uh, Lauterbach Consulting. And uh, I've been advising businesses with focus on technology uh, ever since. 
So um, around 2013, uh, when I stopped being an active executive in a large company, I started serving on corporate boards, uh, on public boards. Um, I spent six years uh, on the board of Dun & Bradstreet, which is uh, the largest enterprise data business in the world. Um, in 2019, we took the company private, uh, so I stepped down from this board. Uh, in uh, 2018, I joined the board of uh, Wirecard, uh, where I chair the committee for risk and compliance. And um, in 2019, uh, I stepped uh, into a new board position at EasyJet. So uh, EasyJet, obviously an aviation company, it was a new industry for me, but uh, I wanted to do something in uh, consumer businesses, as uh, by my pedigree, I'm more or less B2B loaded. And this is how I got interested in consumer-facing businesses, uh, asking, different headhunters uh, to push roles to me with focus on consumers um, and EasyJet was a very interesting opportunity. I'm very privileged uh, to serve on this board, working with fantastic individuals, very skilled, very experienced directors um, and a wonderful executive team. So in my advisory roles, I mostly focus right now on artificial intelligence technologies. So AI is of course a very broad term, so I do a lot of deep learning projects uh, and uh, Machine learning projects focused on time series and computer vision, less um, language. And uh, I'm very focused on cybersecurity, helping companies uh, to uh, decide on uh, what type of cyber defense they need and who to work with uh, to boost uh, their cybersecurity. So I'm just kind of going back to uh, that part you mentioned about, you know, your daughter was very gifted in the music and arts. My next question was going to be sort of what was your aha moment um, when you realized what your real calling was? So frankly, I, I have never had, uh, let's say, a singular aha moment because um, I have plenty of aha moments uh, in course of the years. And um, I just, uh, I, I love to learn and to educate myself uh, and uh, maybe, you know, my school uh, was specialized in French language and uh, in physics. Uh, I'm multilingual, I'm fluent in six languages and I read in another four. Um, so for me, it's kind of easier uh, to get a book uh, into my hands and, and just read it and then kind of, you know, try to apply uh, what I read, uh, you know, in, in life uh, or in business. Um, I'm a very curious person, I want to learn, I want to meet new people, um, you know, I, I, I wish I had uh, 40 hours days and not 24 hours days, but I mean, this is uh, how it is. Yeah, not uh, enough time, so much to do. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, so there are a lot of moments of uh, inspiration, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you listen to a certain uh, piece of music, or you read something, or you just have a conversation, and uh, uh, I just meet a lot of people, and I'm very privileged to work with uh, highly sophisticated, talented individuals. Um, my network uh, is very, very large. Uh, I have a lot of um, Americans in my network, of course, because I spend uh, uh, three months uh, every year in the United States. Um, but uh, I work a lot with uh, people from Asia, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Vietnam. Um, I, you know, love working with uh, individuals who have kind of, you know, a lot of interests and uh, uh, quite a diverse educational background because I believe that innovation happens on borderlines in between of uh, 
uh, topics and areas and not necessarily very deep uh, in one area. So sometimes you just see uh, something interesting happening on the frictions in between of areas and uh, that's obviously uh, what I prefer to do and prefer to develop. I would love to get your take on uh, the current situation, you know, the whole COVID-19 lockdown that we're all clearly, you know, being impacted by, you know, especially in terms of the economy and sort of where we go from here. I guess what I'm sort of getting at is, is human-centered work sort of at a crossroads right now? I mean, will, you know, will machines and AI likely dominate traditional industrial processes from here on out? So look, uh, we need to consider different layers on what is going on. And obviously, um, I don't have a crystal ball uh, like uh, everyone else. Um, let me consider a number of factors here. So what I uh, see, uh, I see strong push into fragmentation of global economy. So uh, until a vaccine uh, has been uh, found um, and widely applied, travel restrictions will remain. So um, the economy uh, got very, very global. So something like, you know, you work with Singapore and United States and you are based in London. So that was a very normal uh, steady state. What I see a lot right now is uh, that um, there is a focus on local resilience and local ecosystem. Um, to boost uh, uh, certain corporate defense mechanisms and to maintain uh, healthy business. So focus on healthy cash flow, um, focus on relationships in between of companies and local governments. This is something which is uh, more and more important today and which was not like this um, even two months um, ago. So what I see as well is that, um, and it's my assumption, obviously, I don't know, uh, but I think that uh, we will uh, reconsider how we view valuation of businesses. And here the resilience of cash flow will be key. I think that people will uh, review frameworks around risk appetite of uh, companies and health of equity. So what type of investors uh, do you have? Are we talking the usual suspect if you are a big business? Uh, are you talking about uh, quite, uh, let's say, stable funds, pension funds? Do, do you have um, some risk investors into your portfolio? Maybe some alternative clusters of investors? So this is something which uh, will be more important uh, when you talk to a business and uh, review the business. And um, obviously a relationship with governments and with state uh, will be quite big. We've already seen um, some impact of changed relationship um, between uh, state and uh, financial institutions after the financial crisis of 2008. But uh, now more industries are getting impacted by COVID and I guess uh, we will uh, see uh, a larger state, a uh, growing state, um, importance of state aid, and uh, who knows uh, where this is going to lead us in the future. So um, in terms of human-centric, um, I don't necessarily uh, view, uh, you know, what used to be before COVID as human-centric, but you know, the philosopher uh, Michael Sandal has argued um, that in recent decades, uh, we have been moving from a market economy to a market society. And um, there was a huge um, focus on capabilities of, of an individual. 
And I think that communities uh, and not just individuals uh, will come to a more prominent focus uh, starting with COVID because we just see that single people uh, or single companies, they're highly vulnerable and uh, we might need to review, uh, you know, uh, what is the portfolio of activities of one individual of one company. So do we need to diversify more? So this is something which, uh, um, which is, I guess, new or newish. Uh, obviously, I don't know uh, whether that will prevail or not. And um, of course, uh, what is very important, uh, and it's, it's kind of you know, a global political team, but uh, you see um, absence of US leadership in so many topics, and uh, you see the growing soft power oh, yeah. of China. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, um, I am in Europe, uh, Europe is in between, so they will be uh, interesting trends to observe uh, who to align with uh, in terms of technology dominance, uh, do you align with uh, US uh, ecosystem of technologies or with Chinese and what are the consequences. Obviously, um, I'm a huge proponent of uh, decentralization of the web. Um, so you might know that I support uh, new protocols uh, which would um, provide capabilities to decentralize data markets. Um, I believe that the future of European web uh, should go around decentralization. But this is something which European govern governments uh, and policymakers need to um, get their heads around and understand better uh, when they decide uh, how to build, uh, uh, let's say, the ecosystem and uh, who to work with uh, and in what way. So, um, you know, there are certain um, risks uh, in uh, uh, relying um, on China and uh, this, those are not just risks in terms of technology, but in terms of um, you know, uh, different cultural background, different views uh, on surveillance, different views on values uh, altogether uh, in between of uh, their society and uh, Western uh, societies. And, uh, you know, in terms of automation, um, I am not a huge believer in uh, the slogan that robots will take our jobs. Um, I think that automation uh, will happen. Uh, automation is a tool to bring efficiency and to make certain processes better. If a process, uh, if a process is a great one and you automate a process, then you might uh, come to the next level of greatness. But of course, uh, you will not save businesses uh, just with automation. Uh, you might improve. Uh, you might. Uh, you know, reduce certain risks. For example, uh, if you don't want to touch screens, you do, don't want to touch paper, and uh, let's say you can work with um, uh, technologies showing the screen um, and uh, to the scanner, uh, and then it's accepted and uh, it's your digital passport. So obviously uh, it makes sense, but um, technology does not exist as l'art pour l'art. Um, it's just a tool and you need to start uh, with the business question, what do you want to change? Uh, and then what do you want to use? And uh, you know, AI automation uh, might be uh, just something to contribute uh, to the next level of greatness. Uh, what I see as well is uh, a trend that um, 
companies and uh, policymakers review uh, the frameworks around so-called black swan events. Um, you know, uh, we understand today that uh, COVID-19 uh, could have been predicted. Uh, Bill Gates uh, talked uh, on a number of occasions about uh, similar events. Uh, he gave a famous uh, TED talk uh, in 2015 on Ebola and whether uh, the corporate world and just the world is prepared for pandemics. Uh, he said no. Obviously, everything he was claiming back then happened um, this year and uh, we are living with consequences of being not prepared to something which was possible and probable. I guess, uh, you know, the framework around risk should change the perception of risk should change and the rest will come along and frankly i think no one can give you a complete picture on what the world would look like uh, 12 months from now why does creativity with relation to critical thinking and innovation matter at this current point in time uh, look i am not a huge uh, kind of you know uh, believer who is branding uh, myself with the word creative because it, I, I just have a difficulty to describe what it might be. I think we need a lot of input and uh, creativity um, is a big sister of diversity because uh, it comes from different perspectives and sometimes from unexpected uh, points of view. So the more um, diverse people you have in the room, the better it is. And the danger of COVID and of the current world is that because of travel restrictions and um, fragmentation of global economy, this diversity might get reduced. So um, how are we going to deal with this? It's a question mark. Of course, diversity is not just about gender or about nation. It's about experience. Uh, so people uh, having multiple employers uh, in their career or, uh, you know, changing industries, switching industries might be more in demand. Um, and I think that the value comes from exercising leadership uh, in uh, a highly diverse uh, environment where creativity might thrive. So what I believe as well is that we need a mix in between of maths, um, you know, precise sciences like chemistry, physics, um, so STEM sciences and uh, humanities. Uh, obviously we need uh, more or less Renaissance uh, type personalities uh, being capable to talk about quantum computing and at the same time about, I don't know, uh, biology, neurology, and arts. Uh, but this again requires education, requires uh, capabilities to learn and move in between of different fields. So if we, um, if we could just sort of elaborate on this initiative, Startups Meets Arts, what's the purpose there and what sets it apart from other similar initiatives? So uh, this is something I created, and uh, frankly, it's uh, it's not formalized in in a certain you know corporate uh, way. Uh, so uh, I have quite a large network, and I just have uh, deep friendships uh, in uh, startup communities around the globe and uh, in arts, uh, especially in classical music. And once a year, I invite around 100 people uh, from really around the globe coming into my house uh, just to spend time together to talk. It's not a conference. Uh, so there are uh, sometimes some random uh, presentations. Uh, if uh, people are working on interesting things, so there's a house concert. And it's just uh, 
a very uh, interesting uh, environment and I know for a fact that a lot of deals uh, happened because people met uh, in, in my private home and uh, this is my way to thank my network for inspiration and uh, for being there for me uh, as frankly I learned a lot from those people. So this year unfortunately um, I had to cancel my startup Smith Arts as I can't let 40 Americans travel from the United States to Europe and be uh, in a private house so uh, obviously we don't have a vaccine. I, I can't uh, provide uh, a very safe environment for these people but uh, once we start opening up I will uh, engage um, so I host house concerts quite a bit uh, to help local artists uh, or people uh, supporting children in arts and I invite entrepreneurs and technologists to those as I believe uh, the mixture between of culture and tech uh, is a very beneficial one. And so what about your, your journey with uh, Sonophilia? You know, it reminds me a little bit of Startups Meet Arts, but how has this network sort of helped you reflect on your work and, uh, you know, progress this initiative that you have? Or really any, any part of your work that you're involved in at the moment? I must admit, um, I was more or less one of the first uh, people uh, in this uh, Sonophilia uh, network as uh, Matthias Rodera and uh, Seda are just close personal friends of mine. I like people engaged uh, into Sonophilia. I helped Seda and Matthias create their first conferences and, uh, you know, get them uh, interesting people, push interesting speakers into their uh, network and connect them. Um, in the first years of their existence. I, I am not always involved in everything they do uh, just because uh, of my time constraints. You know, I try to combine uh, US uh, and um, Europe. Uh, I have an 11 years old uh, at home uh, who composes and, uh, you know, practices piano quite a bit. It's just uh, I can't get involved, you know, sufficiently enough uh, to contribute in a way uh, which would have been uh, seen more and appreciated more um, as I have other duties and uh, other networks uh, to contribute working in different time zones. But I like this group a lot. I think we need more of those uh, gatherings just to uh, give uh, voices to people from with very different backgrounds, with very different ideas. And uh, obviously Salzburg is just very, very beautiful. Uh, I am a member of uh, Salzburg Global Seminar. Um, I advise two of their programs. Uh, one is uh, on corporate governance and another one is on technology and law. Uh, whenever um, I connect to them, I try to visit Seda and Matthias uh, and I, I will always support everything they do as I think uh, it's remarkable. And uh, it's very, very helpful uh, for people who might not necessarily be exposed to very different environments and audiences. I mean, it brings a certain sense uh, of an international community and interdisciplinary community. And this is what I value the most in the network. I think that we'll leave it there. Thank you, Anastasia, so much for speaking with us today on The Sonophilian. We will be in touch uh, and stay safe and take care. Thank you, Miriam. Stay safe.